Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. It's a common <laughs> misconception that most pastors on Father's Day would come up here and berate our fathers, telling you to be a better father and to uh, do right by the Lord and, and uh, watch after your kids and your wife and all that. And that's all said and good. But this morning, uh, as like all other Father's Days I've preached, I want to talk about the good things about dads. I want to talk about how we can encourage our dads and how we can um, lift them up in times of struggle. And we have many, many great examples in the Bible about what it is to be a good father. And this morning I want to start off with a um, something humorous for you, so to speak. But this morning I want you to first turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 5. Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And then also Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7 says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah was a great example of a good father. And we're going to dive into that a little bit this morning. But something, like I said, I want to share with you was kind of humorous. We know that today is Father's Day. And you know what? From personal experience, I'm sure glad that I'm a guy. I am. I'm sure glad that I'm a guy. Amen, boys? Amen, Amen right? I read something titled, 50 Reasons It's Good to Be a Man. Now, I won't read them all, but I compiled my own David Letterman top 10 list for you. Number 10, we know stuff about tanks. <laughs> Number nine, if someone forgets to invite you to something, he can still be your friend. That one's for you, ladies. Number eight. You can drop by to see a friend without bringing a little gift. Number seven, if another guy shows up at the same party in the same outfit, you might become lifelong friends. 
Number six, guys in hockey masks don't attack you unless you're playing hockey. (laughs) Number five, you can admire Clint Eastwood without starving yourself to look like him. Number four, your pals can be trusted never to trap you with. So, notice anything different? (laughs) Number three, if something mechanical doesn't work, you can bash it with a hammer and throw it across the room. Number two, car mechanics tell you the truth. I haven't had that experience. And the number one reason it's good to be a man, and drum roll, you can go to the bathroom without a support group. Amen? (laughs) You know, it's human nature for boys to brag about their dads, isn't it? And three boys are in a schoolyard. I'm going to tell a joke again. Three boys are in the schoolyard bragging about their fathers. The first boy says, My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a poem, and they give him $50. The second boy says, Well, that's nothing. He goes, My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, they calls it a song, and they give him $100. The third boy says, I've got you all beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon, and takes eight people to collect all the money. (laughs) The point this morning is that the Bible is replete with examples of some of the worst and some of the best examples of a father. And we're going to go look at the Old Testament characters and talk about the character traits that are portrayed by each that God wants to, ve- to develop in his, um, his men and through his children. The theme of this sermon this morning is a father to aspire to. And God seeks to stretch us as fathers to go beyond our comfort zone and to see how we can grow in our own character. In life, there are two zones that we live in. One is the comfort zone, and we know that it's safe. It doesn't require a lot of courage or faith or obedience. And we can kind of hang back a little, settle down, and we can just kind of get real comfortable in that place, can't we? The problem is that the comfort zone is a, what we would call a no-growth zone. You may think the worst that can happen is the longer you stay, the more you remain the same. But actually, the longer that you stay, the less you stay the same because you atrophy into something less. Either we're growing stronger in the development of Christ-like character or we are growing weaker. So what needs to happen is that we need to stretch ourselves. We need to get out of our comfort zone and into the character zone. And now the character zone isn't always safe, though. 
That's why it's scary for us fathers to kind of jump away from that comfort zone into the character zone. It's only in the character zone that we find significance and we are enabled to partner with God to build his kingdom and make a difference in our world. Now, in this character tour of the Old Testament this morning, we'll see how God stretched folks in order to develop Christ-like character in each of them. And I want to focus this morning on Noah. So we're going to look at Noah and what it means to be a portrait of faith. Noah had a personal faith. In some translations, the word favor is translated as grace. Indeed, grace is unmerited favor. It's getting something that we didn't deserve. And Noah benefited from God's grace, and that is only accessed by his personal faith. Through our faith, Christ has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. Now, at this point, it might be helpful to explain the differences between the Old Testament and New Testament salvation. Some mistakenly believe that the Old Testament believers were saved through observing the law of Moses or through the offering of animal sacrifices. But no, Old Testament believers were saved the same way that the New Testament believer are saved through personal faith in the Messiah and his complete sacrifice for our sin that provided forgiveness. Old Testament believers were saved through faith in the promised Messiah who would come. New Testament believers are saved through faith in the promised Messiah who has come. For New Testament believers, salvation is like a what we would have today as a gift certificate. All right? It's already paid for. We just need to accept it and cash in on it. For Old Testament believers, salvation was like credit. They received it before it was paid for. Old Testament believers were pointed to the cross through what was foretold in Genesis chapter 3 and then foreshadowed like with the animal sacrifices and the law. New Testament believers are pointed to the cross through what we are told in the New Testament as the historical reality of Jesus Christ. Old Testament believers were saved by looking to the cross, while New Testament believers are saved by looking back to the cross. They were assured of their salvation by virtue of the promise of God's word. New Testament believers are assured of their salvation by the virtue of the promise of God's word and the presence of God's Holy Spirit. You see, Noah was saved by grace through faith, just as we are today. And now one might expect this to be the case because of Noah's family tree. Some of his forefathers were great believers like Methuselah, Enoch, who is said to have walked with God. Now Enoch, the grandson of Adam, didn't die until Noah was over 80 years old. And this was passed down to Noah as to everyone else, but it didn't benefit 
everyone, including Noah, until they chose to personally place their faith in God's promise of salvation. It's been said, God doesn't have any grandchildren. That is, one does not inherit saving faith. It must be a decision that you and I come to in response to God's truth and that we own personally. And Noah had that. He had that personal faith with God. Noah would be deemed to be on the good dad list, except for one notable exception, but that's really not the subject of today's sermon. But we normally think of him as the guy who built the ark, and he brought the animals in two by two, and restarted the human race after the catastrophic flood. And that's all true, but, you know, overall, he was a good father. Building the ark was probably the most remarkable accomplishment in his life and history up to that point. But when you look at the dimensions for the ark that are given in the Bible, and and men, this will blow our minds, okay? He had no power tools. But Noah's greatest accomplishment was his family's faith. Noah raised a family in a very difficult time. It was an age of wickedness and evil thinking. Just back in verse 5, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That sounds very much like our own day, doesn't it? But guys, I will tell you that Noah proves that you can be a good dad and raise a godly family even in the worst of times. His was also an age of corruption and violence. Genesis 6.11 says the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Again, that sounds very much like our time today. So how did Noah succeed as a father in such a time as that? Well, one clue is found in Genesis 6.9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was just a man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. The thing God wants us to know about Noah here is that Noah walked with God. Before we're told that Noah walked with God, but he was just a man. He was just a man. And the term just here is in reference to um, not just having to deal with living a good life. To be just in the biblical sense means to be without sin before God. This is not something that is earned, but it is bestowed upon a person by God. The idea of God making a person just before him is known as, and we've talked about this the last couple weeks, justification. The word perfect here does not mean that he never sinned. Understand that. Being perfect here did not mean that he did not sin. The Hebrew word here means without blemish, complete, sound, upright, and whole. Hebrews 11.7 gives us the same insight into how we can be justified, where we read that Noah became heir of the righteousness by which is by faith. 
Now from Hebrews 11.7, I want you to get a couple important things here that we need to know. First of all, we need to note that Noah had righteousness. Righteousness means the same thing as the word just in Genesis 6. To be righteous means to be able to stand without sin before God. Well, none of us here are perfect, amen? But that included Noah. So that presents a little bit of a dilemma here. Even if we reform and live for God, we're still not perfect. Yet that's what God demands here. He demands that we live a perfect life. Absolute perfection. But we also need to note that his righteous standing before God was bestowed upon him. He did not earn that righteousness. God had to give it to him. Noah became heir to the righteous state. To become an heir means that he received something absolutely free. And we're also given that free gift. We know that God can bestow that upon us if we only put our faith in him. As Romans 6.23 puts it, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That phrase, through Jesus Christ our Lord, is very, very critical. It's only through Jesus that we can have this gift of God's righteousness. It is only through that sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we are bestowed with the gift of righteousness. Lastly, Hebrews eleven seven also teaches us that the way to receive this righteousness is by faith. He became heir of the righteousness by, which is by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace, example, undeserved favor, are saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So how did Noah receive righteousness? By his faith in God. How can we receive God's righteousness and be free and pardoned from our sin by faith, by trusting in Jesus, by, by his sacrifice, we were given that gift freely. Jesus said in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The ultimate promise. The first thing to do to be the dad that God wants us to be is to have our sins forgiven by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not only was Noah a man who had received full pardon for that sin by God's grace, we're also told that Noah walked with God Noah looked around at the wickedness. He saw the violence in the culture. He refused to follow that particular lifestyle. He was called for something greater. We are all called for something greater. So like I said, he looked around the wickedness and he knew that was not what was right for him and not what was right for his family. So... 
when we're talking about it here, what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to walk with God? Well, walking with someone means you're going in the same direction with him. Now, if you travel with God, who's going to lead the way? God, of course. Men don't have the directions to get where we need to go, right? We just wander aimlessly. But we can't get anywhere without God's guidance. So how can we walk with God as a godly father? First, we need to spend time with God in his word and prayer. We need to be in his word and constantly in prayer. You cannot cultivate a, a relationship with someone you don't spend time with. And conversely, dad, you need to spend time with your children to cultivate that relationship. Do you have a time in God's word and in prayer every single day? A time when God can set you straight, so to speak? correct you, get you reoriented on a, a daily basis, and, and, and get you to refocus your priorities, you'll need that to walk with God. Secondly, you need to be the spiritual leader of your home. When Joshua came into the land of Israel, he didn't give his kids an option about serving the Lord while they were in his household. He said, as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Now, a child, now adult, was growing up, and he was in church every week. Basically, he had two choices. Go willingly or go unwillingly. Either way, he was going to be in church. And if there was a teen activity for that week, he was going to it. If there was a revival or a missions conference, he'd be there. Now, if his dad had been a hypocrite, he might have rebelled against that thought and not have shown up at all. He might have rejected his teachings and his demands, but he knew his parents believed with all their heart that when Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness... Jesus meant it to be put into practice in every area of our lives. And they followed that in their lives. Dads, we need to be that key leader in going to church and putting the Lord first in our life and reading the Bible in our homes. Thirdly, to walk with God, gentlemen, we need to obey him. We need to obey him. God came to Noah and told him to build an ark. A what? As his sons probably asked. What in the world is an ark? It had never rained before, and there were no large bodies of water. What God was asking him to do didn't seem to make any sense, but he did it out of obedience to God. God commands us to do many things we may not fully understand. He says to give up our life in order to save it. He says to give so that you may receive. He says the way to greatness is to be a servant. You may not understand why God says to do this or that. But if we're going to walk with God, 
We have to obey God. God says to let your speech be seasoned with salt. So that means that you need to clean up your speech. God commands be angry and sin not. So that means to make sure you never let your anger get out of control. At home, at work, or even in your neighborhood. No excuses, no exceptions. God said you shall not steal. So that means you return the 10 cents over change you get from the cashier. Or you don't cheat on your income taxes. God commands us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. So that means that you turn off the ungodly or sensual TV, TV show or movie. And you don't listen to music that glorifies sex or violence. You become an example. You do what God has called you to do. And you do it because it feels right. Because if God is first in your life, you don't want to be involved in these things. You want to live your life that is serving. Men, walk with God through a vibrant and passionate daily time with God. By being a spiritual leader in your home, and by being consistently obedient Christians in each of these areas. Yes, Noah was declared righteous before God. And he walked with God. But here's the coolest thing about this story. By doing this, by being a godly father, by living that example, he won his family over. In Genesis 7, chapter, or verse 1, we read these words, Shortly before God destroyed the whole world with that flood. It says, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark. For thee I have seen righteous men before me in this generation. And then if you go down to verse 7, it says, And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. This was the most important thing he did in his life. You can put all kinds of rank on your sleeve or collar. You can lose your family to sin and the world because you neglected to lead them to God. Or because you were a poor example of Christian living. You will fail in God's most important task that he has set before us as fathers. Noah's family members were only, they were his only converts. Yet God deemed him as a success. He was not given the name of great financier, but he was a great father for his boys. He was not a corporate executive, but he was a conscientious man and a godly example. Noah may not have been a great preacher. After all, again, his only converts were his family. But he was a great pattern. He was a great father to aspire to. He was a man that we could look up to. God bestowed righteousness upon him because he served God through his faith. And what a day for Noah as his entire family entered that ark. Contrast Noah with Lot. 
When Lot fled Sodom and Gomorrah, he begged his family to escape, having received warnings about the demise of Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot, who compromised every step of the way with the culture around him, he had absolutely no credibility with his family spiritually. In fact, the Bible tells us that they mocked his warnings, and when God began to rain down his judgment, Lot fled. He fled almost alone. All his family members perished in Sodom and Gomorrah except two of his daughters. How did Noah win over his family? Here's the key. He was authentic. He was authentic in his walk with God. And he wasn't hypocritical about it. A man lived in Okinawa in the 1970s, and he had to leave the country to have his visa renewed. So he flew to Taiwan where his parents had a network of friends from when they were stationed there in the 1960s. He stayed with a missionary who had been tortured by the Red Chinese when they took over China. He was still serving God in Taiwan, and while visiting in his church, he heard the testimony of a vibrant young believer. And he asked him, what was the deciding factor that brought him to Christ? He looked at the missionary, and in broken English, he said, he told me many, many times about Jesus. But first, I watched his life, and he also walked his walk. So he walked, and he talked. And his walk matched his talk. So he said, I want Jesus too. I want Jesus to be a part of my life just like it is for you. Not only is authenticity and genuineness without hypocrisy a persuasive argument to those we witness to in this world, there are the utmost importance to our kids of the reality of our faith, the strongest argument that can be made here. That's why Noah was able to reach his family. He was not hypocritical, and they saw the reality of his faith. And it was perceived that his walk matched his talk. They believed what he had was real. Kids react to hypocrisy. But they respond positively to a genuine faith in God lived out in genuine integrity. Men, God helps us to be real Christians, to practice what we preach, to be faithful to what we profess, to be obedient to God's commandments, just as Noah was. As it was in the days of Noah, so it is in our day, a time of wickedness, violence, and sin. But you know what? God's grace is sufficient for fathers now as it was then. May God enable us to win our families for Christ. Amen? Dave, would you come and lead us in our time of benediction?
And if you are going to make a decision this morning, if you do not know Christ, you don't know the power of his love for you, I pray that you will talk to us today. Let us help you to understand what a relationship with him really means. Or if you're looking to follow in baptism, we want to talk to you about that as well. But God loves us so much that he gave everything to us. Things that we don't deserve. But he did it anyways because of that great love. Great attributes to live up to. Thank you, Chris. Last night going to sleep, I was so glad to be part of my family. And maybe you can say this, your family knows you real well, but they love you anyway, you know? It's good to be part of that family. And, and then I woke up this morning coming to church and I was thinking, it's so great to be part of the family of God. And Rad, I don't know where you are, but welcome to the family of God, brother. All right, you are now my brother in Christ and I'm so excited for the adventure that awaits you as you walk with the Lord. Let's stand together and sing the family of God. I'm so glad of the family of God. Oh, I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by His blood. We're joined as with Jesus as we travel this side. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here this morning. We pray that everything that was said and done here will be an honor to you. Lord, thank you for our fathers. Thank you for our dads. Thank you that you bestow upon us the tools to be a good father, much like Noah was. Let us leave here today knowing that you keep your promises that you take care of us. And Lord, we're grateful that you are our Father and that you watch over us as well. We thank you for all these things. And all of God's people said, Amen. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.